This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Every generation has that one really terrible case that we don't have any answers to. On August the 4th, 1892, Andrew and Abby Borden were hacked to death in their Fall River, Massachusetts home. Suspicion turned to the people in the house. And the only people in the house are his daughter and their housekeeper. It was so shocking for the police to come to the conclusion that the daughter had killed her father and stepmother. There is only one plausible explanation. Ask just about anyone about the Borden case and you're likely to get one response. Who do you believe killed Andrew and Abby Borden? Lizzie. Lizzie's responsible for these murders. It was Lizzie Borden who intended to murder and did murder Abby and Andrew Borden. And yet, at Lizzie Borden's trial, that's not quite how the jury saw it. Lizzie Borden was acquitted, so no one has ever been uh, held accountable for the crimes. In the summer of 1893, a jury of 12 men acquitted Lizzie Borden because they simply couldn't believe that a young, church-going, unmarried woman like Lizzie could be capable of such brutal murders. But if not her, then who? This is somebody who may have quite literally gotten away with murder. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is my life of crime, The Case of Lizzie Borden, Part 3. Was Lizzie Borden able to kill her parents in broad daylight and get away with it just because she was a woman? In the 19th century, men couldn't believe that a young woman would hack her parents to death. But what about today? What would happen if she was tried in the 21st century? That's just the kind of question that we like at 48 Hours. Over the years, we've seen more and more women go on trial for murder. And the cases are, like Lizzie Borden's, usually big, high-profile cases. And yet even today, 
it seems jurors often struggle when it comes to convicting female defendants. Remember Casey Anthony, the young Florida mom accused of killing her daughter? She was acquitted of murder. A jury in Orlando today found Casey Anthony not guilty, convicting her only on four relatively minor charges of lying to the police. So what would happen to Lizzie Borden today? In our last season of this podcast, we visited the Borden house, walked through court records, and now we're going to bring those court records to life. My name is Anasika Nicolazzi. I was a prosecutor for 21 years at the Brooklyn DA's office. My name is Matthew Troiano. I'm a criminal defense attorney in New Jersey. In the fall of 2019, we hired two highly experienced litigators and two equally seasoned investigators. My name is Aaron Rubis, and I am a crime scene investigator and a former homicide detective. I'm Andrew Schweikart. I'm a criminalist at the New York City office of the chief medical examiner. We asked them to put together a presentation of the Lizzie Borden case in front of a real jury. But this time, of course, it's a jury of both men and women. Anna Siga Nicolazzi agreed to prosecute the case. I was sucked right in. I was sucked in from the perspective that this happened over 100 years ago. Matthew Troiano agreed to defend Lizzie Borden. I think it's relevant now the same way it was relevant then, and it's just a fascinating story. But before we got started, we took crime scene investigator Aaron Rubis back to where it all happened in Fall River, Massachusetts. And we're coming up to the Lizzie Borden house. Wow. What is important? What do you really want to see for yourself? I want to be able to take myself back into the crime scene. Based on what I've read, I want to be able to kind of put those pieces together that are missing. We took a step back in time in the dining room, where next to the family china, there are real crime scene photos, in black and white, luckily, and surreal replicas of evidence that was shown at trial. To your left is a replica of Andrew Borden's skull, and to your right is Abby. I would definitely say that whoever did this, this was personal. This was a lot of anger and a lot of rage. Next to the dining room is the sitting room, where nearly 130 years ago, Andrew Borden was found stretched out on a sofa. There's a black and white crime scene photo here, too. Borden looks asleep until you look closely at his face. It's pretty brutal. I mean, his entire face is brutally bashed in. Upstairs, right above the dining room, the guest bedroom. This, right over here, is where Abby Borden was found dead, face down. There are more black and white photos here, where investigator Erin Rubis could see for herself the body of Abby Borden, face down on the floor, hit 19 times by a sharp axe-like weapon. So horrific a scene that police at first believed a deranged killer came in the house. But there was no evidence a forced entry. The house was triple locked in the front door, and the back door was locked, and the only door that could have been unlocked was the side door. Which is why Anasiga Nicolazzi feels so sure she has a strong case against Lizzie Borden. She is the only one that could have committed these crimes. If the crime happened today, there would be all kinds of forensic tools to use, including DNA. But back in 1892, there was none of that. How would you describe the state of forensics in 1892? It was very primitive. 
I think in many ways it was the perfect time for somebody to potentially get away with a crime like this. That's Andrew Schweigart, the criminalist. He says that in 1892 in small town Fall River, investigators didn't know how important it was to preserve the crime scene. Cops, first responders, even neighbors trampled the crime scene. So anything really that was discovered at that crime scene was seriously compromised because we don't know when or by whom it was deposited. What investigators did know was that Abby Borden was killed upstairs at least an hour before her husband Andrew was. His death was so recent that his injuries were noted to have been oozing wet liquid blood. He was also warm to the touch. On the other hand, Abby, who was upstairs, had matted, coagulated blood, dark blood on her injuries. She was also cold to the touch. We also know that Lizzie, her stepmother Abby, and the housekeeper were all in the house. Lizzie said she was ironing in the dining room. But here's what's wrong with that. Her stepmom weighed about 200 pounds, so her fall in the room right above Lizzie would produce a loud crash. But Lizzie said she heard nothing. Lizzie also claimed that she had gone upstairs after her dad, Andrew, came home for lunch around 10.45 a.m. He had taken a nap on the couch in the sitting room, which is where, says Aaron Rubis, his killer found him. That was the opportunity right there. He's on that couch and he's sleeping. And there was your opportunity. And what about a motive? Lizzie and her sister, Emma, both really desired to live a way better life and they really resented their father for not providing that for them. Making matters worse, their father had bought a house and had given it to Abby for her family. And that's why the order of death is so significant, says Anna Siga Nicolazzi. If Andrew had been killed first, then automatically Abby's family will get part of the money where she's killed first. Everything is just for the girls. And as we all know, money is more often than not the motive behind murder. Again, investigator Aaron Rubis. Clearly, Lizzie was not happy that that house was going to go to her stepmother's sister. But enough to provide a motive for that kind of vicious killing? They were brutal. Brutal murders. Any crime scene investigator would expect to see blood, and lots of it. I would think that there would definitely be blood on her. But in fact, there was only a minute spot of blood found on one of Lizzie's undergarments and a bucket of bloody cloths found in the cellar. Lizzie told cops she was menstruating, and back in 1892, no one questioned it. I think that was such a personal issue that, let's face it, who's going to challenge that? If we were to have that today, could we show, okay, is this Lizzie's blood or is it Andrew and Abby's blood? As for the murder weapon, it's in here that the hatchet was found. In the cellar, a hatchet head was found in a box of tools. Not a full hatchet, just the head. Again, criminalist Andrew Schweigart. This particular hatchet head almost looked like it had been deliberately covered with a layer of ash. The hatchet head had a three and a half inch cutting blade that seemed consistent with the wounds found on the victims. And while no blood was found on it, 
investigators decided it had to be the murder weapon. She could have quickly rinsed off that hatchet head, thrown it in a pile of ash to obliterate any lingering blood, and then just tossed it in the cellar to make it look like an old piece of junk. I mean, there are endless places in this house to hide stuff. And that's really the case against Lizzie Borden. She had the motive and opportunity, but there was little physical evidence to connect her to the murders. That's the case the jury heard in 1893, and that's what our jury today will hear. This is the case of Lizzie Borden. Good morning, everyone. Anna Siga Nicolazzi for the state. It was a hot summer's day. Matthew Troiano, defending Lizzie Borden. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. They're about to deliver their opening statements to eight jurors, four men and four women. Eight people who, believe it or not, had never heard of Lizzie Borden. We begin with the prosecution. This case is about bitterness, resentment, and fear. Greed was what drove Lizzie Borden to do what she did. Just one night before these two innocents are bludgeoned in their own home, the defendant goes to see a friend. She, out of nowhere, volunteered. She'd been feeling depressed and so worried about many nameless, faceless enemies that her father had. And she left with this. I'm afraid something's going to happen. Lizzie Borden is guilty of her parents, her father, and her stepmother's murder. And the evidence by the end will prove that to you beyond any reasonable doubt. Thank you. And now, the defense. This is a woman of 32 years old who is accused of the most vicious and heinous murder that one could imagine. What would you expect to see around the person and on the person that did this? Blood? A lot of blood, right? There's no blood on her at all. There's no blood on her hands. There's no blood on her face. There's no blood anywhere on her. The reality here ladies and gentlemen, is the evidence is lacking. The story's good, but the evidence is lacking. And if you are going to come back and convict somebody of this crime, you better get a little bit more than a story. Thank you. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The prosecutor calls her witnesses. People call crime scene detective Aaron Rubis. Aaron Rubis will lay out the evidence to the jurors. The locked doors, the hatchet head, the pail of bloody rags. But it's really the lack of evidence that is the state's biggest challenge. She begins by describing how Andrew Borden was killed. It is my belief that this was done from someone facing him and directly almost over top of him. And it's fair to say that even with that number of wounds, there was not a whole lot of blood. That's correct. Criminalist Andrew Schweigart. With Abby Borden, how many wounds were observed on her body? There were 19 wounds observed on Mrs. Borden, um, 18 to the back of her head on the right side, and one at the base of her neck. 
possible to commit those murders and not get a lot of blood on you based on the type of wounds that we had. Absolutely. Did he have any defensive wounds? None that were observed. And why wouldn't the victims fight back? If someone sees someone who is familiar, could that contribute to lack of initial defensive wounds? Possibly. Did they recover anything in terms of any possible weapon? A hatchet head. Is there anything about the size of the actual hatchet that was recovered that would preclude a woman from using it? No. No matter the size? No matter the size. I have nothing further. The defense cross-examines the state witnesses, and as you can imagine, Matt Troiano focuses on the baffling, troubling lack of blood. So you would agree that at the point that, obviously, the object hits that source of blood, there's going to be blood that comes out from it. Is that correct? Yes, I think that does depend on the specifics, but yes. Okay, but certainly, as far as you know, there was no dress that was found that would have had blood spatter on it. Is that correct? Correct. The only blood that is on an article of clothing was a 1 16th inch size pinhead spot of blood on an underdress underneath an outer dress. That's correct. That was the only piece of blood that was detected. Any blood on that hatchet? Not that was observed. Keep in mind, with no forensic tools available back in 1892, observation was just about all investigators had. No other apparent blood anywhere else, or quite frankly, anywhere in the house. Is that correct? Other than uh, blood in the um, immediate two areas of the two homicides and uh, potential blood on the pail in the cellar, there was no mention of blood elsewhere in the case record. I think that's all I have. Thank you. And then both lawyers do their best to persuade the jurors in their final arguments. I think what you've heard over the course of the last couple hours are questions, but not proof, and not proof beyond the reasonable doubt. This case is very much like a jigsaw puzzle. But I suggest that when you look at all those pieces, it's not one that is overly tough to solve. You are not here to find a solution to the puzzle. But you are here to decide if a crime was committed and if this person, the defendant, Lizzie Borden, committed it. And all the pieces of evidence say yes. There is no direct evidence here, right? And the circumstantial evidence is so very weak that it can't be enough. So think those things through. I know you will. So thank you very much. The evidence is all there. When you use all of it and use your common sense, it is proof of one thing. Lizzie Borden, the defendant, bludgeoned her stepmother and her father to death. And for that, you should find her guilty. Thank you. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
And now the best part, hearing what the 21st century jurors have to say. And we get to hear them deliberate. I feel like it has to be somebody familiar with the house. That's Michael, one of the eight jurors hired to hear this case. There's also Frank, James, Michelle, Amy, Larisa, Jennifer, and Gerald. Think of the murder weapon, the hatchet. You chopping at someone, there's no blood whatsoever. What are the big concerns here? The prosecutor said resentment, bitterness, and greed. But it just seems like overkill mm-hmm. if she wasn't going to lose everything. Either she's a sociopath or possibly not guilty. But that, and that's my only question. I feel like to go for first-degree murder of both victims, there has to be malice of forethought. And I don't believe that was proven. But, you know, you could... I mean, these are two different counts, so mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could decide that she's guilty of one and not guilty of the other. Abigail was struck 19 times. Like you said, that is it's overkill, but there's still a lot of, like like I said, unknowns in terms of how do they clean that, that up? I can't figure out how she could have done it and been standing there with nothing, like nothing on her, like house and everything normal. I feel like it has to be somebody familiar with the house. Also familiar with the victims because they clearly familiar with the attacker. I'm not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that she's guilty. I don't buy it. But, but I don't think the standard is completely convinced. It's beyond a reasonable right. doubt. But, I... that, but that doesn't mean completely. Unlike the original jury, this group has no trouble believing a woman could kill. The question they're struggling with, was it this woman? But if she does know how to kill a pig or livestock, then she knows how to do it right. They all agree Lizzie Borden had a motive for murder. She hated her stepmother. But if Lizzie did kill her parents, why leave the housekeeper, who was also in the house, alive? Why leave Bridget alive? Why leave the bloody rags just hanging out? Listen, let's let's forget about our accomplices or her motivation. The question is, did she do it? They went back and forth, and back and forth for more than an hour. So do you want to, you know, take a vote from everybody on two different counts? On the charge of first degree with the death of Abby Borden. Uh, Guilty. Uh, Guilty. 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 I keep going back to she looks guilty, but I'm not convinced. So I'm back to not guilty. You're the last one, Jarrell. Guilty. Yeah, (laughs) guilty. You're sure? Yes, positive on that one. On the charge of first degree with Andrew Borden. Guilty. 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 Not guilty. Not guilty. Gerald didn't think Lizzie Borden was innocent, but he felt Lizzie didn't actually plan to kill her dad, that she had to kill him when he came home earlier than she expected. I just, I don't know if that premeditation factored in with dad. And with that, Jennifer, the jury foreman, announced the verdict. On the charge of first-degree murder of Abby Borden, we are a hung jury and on the charge of first-degree murder for Andrew Jackson Borden, we are also a hung jury. A hung jury on both cases. So not acquitted this time, but if Lizzie Borden were alive, she'd walk again. Matt Troiano says the jury got it right. 
clearly there's a lack of evidence. And then there's a second part of, hey, we just don't think that she did this. You cannot answer the questions that have to be answered here, and that's reasonable doubt. But as you can guess, Anasiga Nicolazzi disagrees. There is only one person who reasonably could have committed this crime, who did commit this crime, and that is the defendant, Lizzie Borden. So is it fair to say that we've not solved the mystery of Lizzie Borden <laughs> and it will be argued for another 120-something years? I feel like we've solved the, the mystery of Lizzie Borden. We just haven't solved whether she should have been found guilty or not, because it's a very different question. I think that that's the best way to say it. And maybe that's the beauty of, of the system, and maybe it's not. Reasonable doubt. That's what we're left with. In your heart, you know she probably did it. But that wasn't enough for some of our jurors. And actually, it should never be enough. I think I'm finally finished with the case of Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and that's my life of crime. A special thanks to the 48 Hours team, as well as my producers, Sam Egan, Alan Pang, and CBS Audio. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CBS Life of Crime. We'll see you next time. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.